Thanks a lot for joining us today, wherever and whenever you are joining us from. It is a pleasure to have you here. Let's open with a quick word of prayer before we dig into some interesting scriptures that I'm sure you're all ready to discover together. Uh, and while we are opening in prayer, why don't you grab your Bibles and make sure you are ready to dig into 1 Timothy chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. The opportunity we have to learn from your word as we dig into your scriptures. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you minister to us. Uh, give us your guidance and direction as we pour over God's holy scriptures. And, and Lord, I just thank you so much that wherever we are, whenever we are, we thank you that you are in our midst as we gather as the church of believers in our community and in other areas around the world. We love you, Father, in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to open quickly reading from Luke chapter 1. I know it's not second or first Timothy, but we're just going to open with this together. It says this, <clears throat> My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, on, on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things in me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has set away, sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You might be wondering why I'm reading from Luke uh, when we're digging into 1 Timothy. Well, what I just read to you is something called Mary's Magnificat. And it's a little hymn or a bit of a teaching that Mary gave as we look into Luke. And what I find fascinating this morning as we dig into the subject of women preaching and women in ministry and what that actually looks like. Trust me, the passage we're going to go through this morning has caused a lot of challenge in the church community, the Christian community, not just in our context, uh, but globally as well as we wrestle with the scriptures. But the reason why I'm reading that is, is I believe it's crucial and important to remember that Christ's own mother gave pause for us to hear her words and listen to teaching that came from her lips. And I want us to remember that Jesus himself understood the teachings of his mother regarding his heavenly father. And it's crucial and important to know that God equips all people for ministry in his time in accordance with his will and his way. So, as we dig into the Word of God, we are looking through the book of Timothy. And Timothy's a young apostle who's learned under Paul, okay? He's one of his buddies. He's somebody who's kind of grown up under him, a disciple, if you were, of Paul. And he's actively in ministry in a geographical region that's actually known as Asia Minor in the Bible. Now, if you've got an old school Bible or a study Bible, in the back there'll be a bunch of maps. And you can look at those maps of where it talks about the apostles' ministry missions as they started out in Acts and went around the whole world. And in that section, you're going to see an area called Asia Minor. 
Uh, in particular, the specific area that Tim is ministering to is actually called Ephesus, which is known today as Turkey. So Turkey, which exists now, which you read about in the news, uh, in fact, actually, it's pretty hot topic in the news right now, what's going on in Turkey. That is Ephesus, and that is where Timothy was ministering to almost 2,000 years ago. And what's fascinating is a lot of what was going on there today is applicable, uh, or sorry, is understood of what we see happen almost 2,000 years ago. History keeps repeating itself over and over again, and it's fascinating. So Ephesus is Turkey. That is where Timothy is teaching, and Paul is writing him, uh, writing him this letter as he's ministering in a very challenging area known as Asia Minor, or Turkey. So when Timothy began ministering in Ephesus, the dominant and overarching religion was paganism, okay? And it's better known now as like polytheism. So polytheism, is if you're a Christian and you believe in God, you believe, your belief system is something called a monotheistic belief system. That means one God. Mono meaning one, theistic meaning that you believe in one God, okay? And so the culture that Timothy was walking into and ministering into was very different than the Christian culture that he was raised in when he became a believer in Jesus Christ. See, Timothy made a decision to follow Christ and recognize that Christ and Christ's Father and the Holy Spirit are one God. They are triune, existing as three parts in one entity, which is pretty fascinating stuff. But the world around them at the time, the Roman and Greek culture, uh, stepping into Asia and that whole part of the world, there was many gods that were worshipped. It was polytheistic, which is actually very similar to what we see now in many cultures around the world. And, and so there's this worshiping of many different gods that Timothy was stepping into. And it can be akin to what we see in, like, say, for example, modern Hinduism, where there are uh, you know, approximately 330 million gods that people worship to, that they sacrifice to, that they surrender to and submit to. And when Timothy arrived to teach in and share in Ephesus, in this location, he was working with a very early church that had a lot of challenges. So I want you to imagine yourself stepping into this whole different world. I mean, we've grown up in, in a culture and a context that, um, for the most part, has a history in a Christian type of belief system, whether it's Catholic or Protestant belief system, understanding that there is a monotheistic viewpoint, okay? That is not the case of what Timothy was stepping into when he went into Ephesus. And it was a very challenging circumstance that had uh, very interesting cultural complexities that we don't really often think about or take into account when we just read scripture in the blanket statement of the black and white text that's on the page. It's important to grapple with and wrestle with the context and the culture of what was going on in the time when we read these letters that were written to the different teachers in different churches in different cities in the world at the time. So needless to say, the culture that existed in early Turkey did not present a favorable environment for women to experience freedom in Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, I want to just rewind for a moment and set a bit of an example of what I learned as I went to a different culture and had to learn about it and grow in it. See, I have a very deep personal philosophy, and what I believe is that you need to go to know what God is doing in different areas. You need to go to know what God is doing in different areas. That's why here at the church, we really support people going on missions trips to different areas, uh, educational trips to different areas. It is crucial to understand and have a better rounded view of what's happening in the world when it comes to faith, religion, cultural practices, and Christianity, because it also helps us understand what's going on in the Bible. 
Bible and how to draw the meaning out of the text rather than inferring our understanding into the text. We need to go to know what's going on. So I had an opportunity a bunch of years ago to go to Nepal and learn there and grow there and understand what was happening in the culture. Because the culture in Nepal, what's fascinating is that it's very similar to what we see happening in the church of Ephesus or Turkey at that time almost 2,000 years ago. It's extremely similar. And I was warned when I went to Nepal that I was going to see something that was a bit different than what I was familiar with in our culture. You see, if you come to church or you're at home or, you know, you happen to attend some sort of religious gathering, uh, you intermingle with each other, right? Women and men, they sit together with their families in, their, in the pews or in their chairs. They worship together. They partake in communion together. They uh, walk together in their faith uh, in, in a level of equality, which is very common and normal and, and expected here in our society. But in Nepal, I saw something that was very different. I was actually warned in advance just, just to be aware that I was stepping into a different culture and a different world that was very different than what we knew here. And what I was warned about or cautioned about was very accurate. When we went to the church there, the first church that we visited when we arrived in Kathmandu, uh, we were able to attend a church, but what was fascinating is the men and the women sat on two totally separate sections of the church. They sat apart from each other. Uh, husbands and wives separated. Uh, sons and daughters separated. They sat on two different sections of the church. Now, they were there together. They partook in worship together. They praised the Lord together, but there was a separation. Now, you might be asking, well, that seems archaic. That seems very strange. And what I've learned over the years is never, ever, ever to diminish the, the reality of what goes on in another culture just because it's different than what happens in ours. We want to make sure that we are uh, understanding when we step into different cultures. We're not there to conform them to our ways, but rather we're there to learn what God is doing in their context. And it's super important to remember that. So for me, it was strange because, you know, we come to a church where women are praising and worshiping God. Uh, they're leading worship. We've got women pastors here that preach and they teach and they share the gospel and they're active in ministry. I've got a wife who's a minister. I've got two daughters who love the Lord and praise the Lord and in their own context are ministers of the gospel. But what I watched in Nepal was very different than what I had been accustomed to. And the reason why everybody sat differently and separate actually had to do with a, a, a portion of orderly worship and orderly teaching. We might think, well, that's so strange. Like, why do they have to sit separately? Why can't they sit together? We need to understand that in the culture, in that context, that was wildly and incredibly life-giving and freeing for the women and the female children to be able to be present in that area of teaching and in that area of worship. Because the rest of the culture in that part of the world has, uh, is, it forbids women from being connected into any portion of worship and praise, any portion of teaching and learning. It's absolutely forbidden. So for example, if, if you were uh, a Hindu man or a Hindu woman who lived in Nepal and you're practicing that religion, it would be impossible for a woman to enter into the temple. It would be impossible for a woman to bring those offerings, to be able to be actively involved in the religious portion of the culture. It was utterly forbidden because women are actually considered to be less than the men. 
Now, again, I want you to remember, I'm not here to, uh, to say, oh, you know, what they're doing in that culture is horrible and bad. And it's terrible. We need to change it. No, no, that's their culture and that's their context. That's not our job to transform that. It's actually God's job to minister to hearts and bring freedom to people who are in captivity. It's our job to show the love of Christ everywhere we go. So I'm not trying to get everybody to rally against a particular people group. That's not the case. But what I want you to remember is that for hundreds, if not thousands of years, people, the women in the culture there have lived in a realm of being less than the men. They were never allowed to learn about the teachings of their religion. They were never allowed to go to temple. They were never allowed to come under the teaching. And there was actually secret teaching or specialized privileged teaching that was only given to the men. And the women were never allowed to be a part of that. In fact, they were considered to be the property of their husbands, had no freedom in and of themselves, and they were actually owned, they still to this day, are effectively owned by their husbands. Again, very different than our culture. I don't want to trigger anybody. I know this is a challenging topic, but that's just the reality of not just Nepal, but many other cultures in the world. It's very different than what we experience here. But you have to remember that the message of Jesus was wildly countercultural for the time, especially as they were stepping into areas that, uh, in Asia Minor specifically, where the teaching and the uh, context of the culture was so different than what other people were experiencing. And the message of Jesus was there to bring hope and freedom to the captives, and it was the great leveler to bring equality and peace to people. The message of Jesus brings hope and love and peace and restoration, whereas the cultures that they were in did not necessarily operate that way. So Timothy is here in this space. He's digging into a culture that is so different. And here's a young man who is learning about the joys of the gospel. He is becoming proficient in his uh, being equipped in the word of God and teaching the word of God. And he's stepping into a very challenging landscape when it comes to understanding the faith, just as I experienced when I went to Nepal. And the fact that the women were allowed to be in the church building with the men was wildly countercultural. You want to talk about a rebellious act? There, it is a wildly, wildly rebellious act for the women to be allowed into the church setting there because women are allowed now into a religious setting where they can learn and grow and be equipped and there's nothing held back from them. They are being equipped the same way that men are being equipped. But that is not common in the culture. So here I got a chance to step into the Nepalese culture and get almost get a picture back to what Timothy was existing in when he was writing this and Paul was instructing him through this letter to him and giving him instructions on what, the, what church was to look like in that context because it was so different than anything that the society had ever seen. So why am I hitting it home like this? Well, I'm, I'm hitting it home because it is crucial to remember that the Bible has, is, is usable for teaching. It is, is alive today as it was 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago when the text was written. But it is just as applicable then as it is today. And it's important to be able to glean from it and understand the cultural nuances that we see in the scripture for different geographical regions. So let's look at this together. What I find fascinating, when we see a move of God begin, God brings an equalization to all the people involved. And he draws people together, whether Jew or Gentile, Protestant or Catholic, Greek or Jew. Uh, it doesn't matter, man or woman. It doesn't matter who you are, what background you come from. When Christ enters the situation, there is a great equalizer because he is great. He is above all of us. And we are called to learn under him and experience ministry through him. And I find that amazing. 
And so as we tackle some interesting subject matter today, I want you to remember, uh, it is very important to remember that God has equipped and called so many women into very unique and special parts of ministry that are game changers, not only for our local context in in the city that you live in or that I live in, but also in the world. And I think back to our Pentecostal movement. You might be wondering, well, what, church, what kind of church do you go to, Pastor James? Well, we go to a Pentecostal church. And that's our heritage here in this church. And the Pentecostal movement at the turn of the century was really led, truly led, by some wild trailblazing ladies. I mean, I'm talking these firecrackers would go into bars and pubs. They would commandeer the joint while guys are having their drinks when they come back from working in the mines. And they would stand on tables and preach the gospel. Some of these ladies, one of them is Amy Semple McPherson, just an absolute trailblazer of the faith. We've got Alex. Garrigus, uh, Maria Woodworth, Mary Burgess, Catherine Coleman, May Frey, and, and these women traveled across our nation and throughout North America and around the globe to bring the gospel. They taught people all over the planet about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they really set the tone and set the bar high for what it was to do active contextual ministry in a brand new way at the turn of the century. And without these women, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be here today. Without these women being obedient to the call of God to go out into their communities, to minister uh, with the gospel of Jesus in wild ways, in strange locations, we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for these women responding to the incredible call of God upon their lives. And in fact, these women stepped into situations that were wildly countercultural at the time. But I think that's amazing that our God is no respecter of our cultural norms. In fact, he brings something better to the situation every single time. So let's open in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. It says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but rather with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works as well. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit that a woman teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but rather the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and with self-control. There's a few words there and a few phrases there that I'm sure are challenging for us to digest this morning. Especially in the culture that we live in. But let's dig in it together. It's important to have a a, a broad understanding of what we're going through. And first of all, I just want to look back quickly at what Graham talked about, our intern he talked about last week. He did an amazing job unpacking the first portion of chapter 2. We discussed the importance of prayer for all people. Uh, And praying for our rulers, praying for the authorities that are above us, praying for our neighbors, praying for our enemies. And it's like Oprah when she's handing out those prizes on that day and everybody likes watching those episodes. You get a prayer, you get a prayer, you get a prayer, you get a prayer, you get a prayer. You all get prayers. It's exciting. We are called as Christians to be in prayer for everybody, to seek the Lord. and to be humble and submissive before him first and foremost that is crucial he also unpacked the importance of prayer as it helps define our purpose and it not only helps us know who we are but it also helps us know who we aren't and it helps us helps us know whose we are we are God's children men and women alike we are children of God and we all have a call upon our lives to share the gospel well who we are as Christians ought to be people who live peaceably with those around us. 
And we can be recognized by this as we choose to go out into our world and not just be, uh, you know, pot stirrers. We are actually called to live peaceably with those around us and to pray for those that are over us and above us, not to uh, be, be ones that stand in opposition. So I love that Graham talked about this because it sets the tone for how we step into this portion as we read about it. The last little portion that we looked at last week was ending in verse 8 where we see the author Paul finish with these words. It says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Today we're not talking about the dudes, but rather we're talking about the gals. And our entire team had a really good chuckle as they put me in charge of uh, digging into this portion of scripture because it's a challenging one and nobody likes to touch on it. But let's look at it together. There are similarities in God's will for both men and women. So if you're writing stuff down, there are similarities in God's will for both men and women. So let's look at that together. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 says this, Likewise, I also want the women to dress modestly with the decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but rather with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And, and notice that he's saying at the very beginning, likewise. So just as the men are called to do the same, so are the women called to do the same. And you need to know that, that Paul is referencing this because the women who are now attending church and involved and growing and learning in the teaching, they didn't know all of this before. This was stuff that was specific to the men because historically only men were allowed in these settings. And so they already knew the rules. They already knew the order of worship. They already knew what was structurally appropriate in these settings for learning and for growing. They already knew that. The women didn't. But I love that the author says this. Likewise, I also want women to do the exact same thing that I've told men to do already. So it's not a calling out just for the ladies. It's saying, hey guys, you've already been told this. Gals, this is the same structure. We all need to walk in together in the faith. It says a woman should also learn in quietness and full submission. And that is not something that's just for the women. That's also for the men. When you're in a teaching environment and one teacher has the authority of the room to teach and share the gospel as Timothy did, that authority was given to him. We are all called to be in submission underneath the teaching of that teacher. And it's crucial because it keeps one person from commandeering the entirety of the meeting. Somebody who has that mentality is, is rebellious in nature and it doesn't do any good for the whole of the church to grow in learning and understanding as you receive teaching of the word of God. So I love that. We can see in the beginning here that there are basic principles that God has willed for every human being. We see in the language of scripture that God has the same agenda and one law for both men and women. And, he, uh, and, and this is observed since the absolute very beginning. We are called to the same thing. Galatians chapter 3, 26 to 29 says this and establishes that. It establishes that in our understanding of the scriptures. It says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And the word sons here, that's overarching to talk about humanity, okay? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. And there is neither male nor female, Jew or Greek. I love this. There is, there is no separator. You are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all heirs according to the promise of God. 
And looking at Paul's basic outline of God's will for women, there is nothing here that, that isn't equally required for both men and women. And I want you to remember that this morning as we dig into the scripture. Again, what's being reiterated is the same information that the guys have had for a long time. But this is so revolutionary that women were allowed to step in and learn under this teaching that there had to be a baseline established that already existed for the guys. So, even though Paul interprets these things to be uh, applicable to women, we must understand that both men and women must obey the same will of God for the same salvation. So why do we read about a difference being here? Well, it's clear that Paul is making a differentiation between men and women with regard to spiritual teaching in certain circumstances. And this is an area where authority over men is exercised in the religious setting, specifically in the culture of Ephesus or Turkey as it's known today. And I, and I kind of went through that at the very beginning, helping us understand that just like what we see in Nepal today or other cultures today, there, is, there has been no historical allowance for women to grow in the teaching of the religious circles of that day. And this was, again, so countercultural and so important for the church as it was growing and expanding everywhere. And his reasons are as follows. Paul references back to creation with Adam and Eve. Adam was first created, and then Eve was the one who was first deceived, as we see in, in the beginning of 1 Timothy there. And this doesn't mean that man is superior over women, but rather these, women, these, these reasons do seem to give reason for God's permit of a man to teach God's truth in certain circumstances where he does not permit a woman to do the same thing. Now, why is there a differentiation there? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. So, but what I want to nail down first, though, is also the privilege that was given to women. See, we see a specific privilege that is given to women that we don't see that's given to men. And it says in verse 15, she will be saved through childbearing. And if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. It doesn't mean you're saved by giving birth to a baby. That's not the case whatsoever. It's broader than that. It's raising your children well in, in the admonition and the care and the joy of the Lord. And moms have an incredible opportunity to do that. That's not necessarily what we see the dads or the men often doing at all, especially when we look at it in a global context. So Paul describes that there's actually a privilege of motherhood that women receive. Eve, as we see Eve receive this in Genesis 3.20. She is actually called the mother of all living. She is getting a designation. Adam isn't given that designation. Adam isn't given the designation of father of all that was living. Only Eve was given that designation. There's something special about that. It's very fair to say that more often than not, moms have a huge role in giving birth to and raising their kids. I know that was the sake in my home growing up. The learning that I had in the scriptures came from my mom, not from my dad. Why? She was at home with us more often. She just was present. She had that care and that nurture about her that simply just didn't come from the dad's side of things. Dad was busy. He was working. He was out there doing the things that he needed to do. Mom was present raising us and teaching us the value of the gospel, what it was to have that beginning relationship with Jesus. In fact, a very, uh, a very strong argument can be made that it's the first church that a child will ever receive. The church that is in the home under the teaching of mom as mom grows in her understanding of the gospel and she learns and she is equipped for the faith. She teaches that to her kids and she has church at home in the playground 
at mom's groups, at gatherings. There is something so precious about this, and it can be the place where a child is most certainly nurtured in the beginning pieces of their faith. We can't discount that. It's so crucial to remember that. A child learns more about God's word from mom at home than they would learn from an hour of teaching through the course of their entire life by one pastor at a church. The role of women in ministry is absolutely crucial and it can't be ignored. It needs to be celebrated and remembered as one of the most important ministries that we could possibly ever see. The privilege of raising a child in the faith is noble and it brings significant spiritual compensation for the woman, more so than what would be received through just teaching in certain situations. So, if we dig into the rest of this passage, it says here, well, women aren't permitted to teach. But what does that even mean? We need to understand the culture and the context of what Paul was teaching about to the church in Ephesus. And, and we dug into that at the very beginning when we were kind of unpacking that and looking at what the world looked like in the time and the, and the true liberation that came with the message of Jesus in the scriptures. This is a massive age of liberation for women from the traditional and societal male domination that was over them. You need to understand that in that culture, women were just property of their men, of their husbands. That is not the case in faith. Unfortunately, we have seen this passage of scripture taken out of context and used as a point of enslaving and in keeping women in bondage rather than actually being a place of recognizing the true liberation that comes from the scripture. It is the most liberating portion of scripture I think that we can find apart from Christ setting free those that have been in the bondage of sin. This was world changing at the time. This passage has been very misunderstood and, and I'm sad that it's been taken out of context who don't look at scripture in the context of culture and who it was written to, but it has happened and we want to try to teach through that and we hope that as you dig into the scripture, you will learn that as well. We have to recognize that Paul was writing as a counsel for him to Timothy at his work in a very challenging area. But through God's word and through God's teaching, we see that liberation is taught. We see that Jesus is encouraging freedom and healing for women who otherwise were just owned and captivated by men rather than being allowed to understand the freedom that they have in Christ. It was so wild and strange. And in fact, I would encourage you in the future when we're allowed to travel, when opportunities come up to go to some of these other cultures and learn and see, I can't encourage you enough. Find a way to tag along, get involved, come out and see what things look like in other parts of the world because we can become very insulated in thinking that it's just all the same, but it's not. Yet the message of Jesus spans the globe and it's for all mankind. So if women can't teach, what are they permitted to do in this context? Well, women are, are, are not only permitted to learn, but rather they're commanded to learn. And this is revolutionary in a world where they had previously strictly been prohibited from even entering into any type of religious practice. God does not desire for women to be kept ignorantly in the dark. In fact, a single word of scripture is uh, uh, not, not a single word of scripture is just restricted to men alone, but it's to be taught freely to women as well. There's no hiding back, well, it's not for them. They can't learn about this. We don't want them to know this because it might give them too much authority. No, 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 that's not the case. All scripture is approved for, for teaching and for learning, and women are actually commanded to learn the gospels just in the same degree that men are. 
In most religions that are observed around the world, major and minor religions, there is knowledge that is actually reserved for a select group of men and men alone. Women are, to this day, forbidden from learning these secret teachings, but that is not the case with the Bible. The Bible is open and free and available for you to dig into and learn from in the appropriate way. You need to grow in the teaching of it. And that's exciting that we have the opportunity to do that. And we see this command, let women receive instruction. We see it in 1 Timothy 2, 11. Let women receive instruction. And this applies to all women so that they may be able to receive all knowledge of Jesus Christ through his scripture. And I think that's some pretty good news. That's incredibly liberating. If we rewound rewound 100 years ago, maybe even 150 years ago, not too long ago, my daughters who have a desire to grow in the learning and understanding of the scripture, they would not be permitted to learn in that capacity. And in fact, even to this day, in some major denominations, uh, even in Catholicism, it is uncommon to find women, or even men for that matter, allowed to take apart and read the scriptures on their own as they grow in the understanding of God. That's reserved for one person. But that's not what Jesus was teaching. It's for everybody. Very liberating. In Christianity, a woman is permitted to learn and know as much as a man does. And when we take that for granted in our culture, But this was a game changer. And even in many cultures and societies today, this is considered wildly revolutionary and extremely contentious. But I like that we serve a God who's a bit countercultural. And it kind of gives me a little bit of excitement about the rebellious nature that we see in the teachings of Jesus Christ that goes against culture because culture of Christ is superior. So what are women not permitted to do? Well, They're not allowed to teach or exercise authority over man. This is not a blanket prohibition against women being teachers. It's very important to remember that. It doesn't mean that a woman can't teach other women or children. And it also doesn't prohibit women from teaching a man in the proper context. Uh, It'd be foolishness for us to think that. Because when we look over the entirety of scripture, we see so many women rising to the occasion and teaching and being able to have an opportunity to share and to lead and to actually bring cultural change. Change. If men and women are discussing spiritual issues and a man learns something from a woman that is honoring and uplifting to the scriptures and his spiritual walk, has a sin been committed? Absolutely not. There's opportunity to grow and to learn. And we need to celebrate that. I opened up with the reading of Luke chapter 1, Mary's Magnificat. And if the men here learn something from this, as I have, has Mary, Christ's mother, sinned by teaching us? Have I sinned by learning from her or even reading aloud as a teaching? Absolutely not. That's foolishness. All scripture is God-breathed and usable. As quoted and taught by men or by women. It's from the Lord and it's for us today. What we do know is that the teaching of God's word, a woman should not practice exercising authority over a man. And this is simply not supported in scripture anywhere. But not all teaching involves the exercising of authority and not all teaching promotes a lack of a submissive spirit before God. So what are men, what are the men permitted to do then? If we, if we look at what's going on here and we see the last portion of scripture talking about the call of men as well, where does that line up? Well, Paul clearly permits men to be ready to teach in all circumstances, even when that means that he has to exercise authority over other people. But Paul also does not simply Uh, does not imply that a man should teach if he isn't proven to be in good standing or doesn't know the material that he's teaching about. 
You see, just because there's a differentiation between uh, women exercising authority over men, God is also really clear that not all men are called to be teachers. And that is very true, and that's very important to recognize. The call to being a preacher or a teacher of the word of God is extremely high calling. The weight on our shoulders is profound and can have eternal repercussions if done inappropriately and wrong. The permission, is to, uh, the permission to teach is not for all men, whereas the permission to learn is for all women. Men should not dominate a class or teaching session where someone else has been appointed as a teacher, yet we see that often and nobody usually calls those guys to account. The reality is, is that the spirit of rebellion that wants to supersede the authority that's over them needs to be worked through and dealt with because we are actually called to be all, all of us called to be people who surrender and submit before God and the authority that he has granted to be over us. This type of guy who's rebellious and those sort of things should not be permitted in learning environments because they can actually be very disruptive to what is being taught in the scriptures and in people's growth and understanding the word of God. There's a profound weight on the shoulders of men who are teachers as they are extra accountable before God. And this has eternal consequences, like I said earlier. There's a weightiness on it. And there's only a few that are called to be in these types of roles and situations in context. So to kind of package it all together, both men and women are called to be students of God's word equally. And this needs to be capitalized upon. This is crucial. We need to grow in the knowledge of scripture so as to become bold and robust believers in all circumstances, no matter where we find ourselves in. And we need to be ready for the call that God has placed on our lives. So whether you're a man or you're a woman, no matter what the context or, issue or situation that you find yourselves in, as Christians, you are called to be learners of the word of God. All of us. Blanket statement across the board. We are called to the same thing, to be learners of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be ready and equipped to share about that and teach about that in whatever situation or circumstance God calls us to. It's important. It's so important. And we need to take it very seriously because we can't diminish the word of God by our lack of desire and will to learn well through his teachings. Both men and women must live their Christian lives in purpose and intentionality, showing that we're ready to respond always in God's call. And so as we unpack this and we, we end this morning, are we offended by the idea that there is order and structure that God has put in place for certain contexts and cultures? Or are we willing to say yes to the Lord and surrender to his goal and his teaching and his call and his will that asks all of us to be learners of the word, ready to apply it in all occasions? I think often we get offended by little portions of scripture, yet we don't take into account the reality that we ourselves are wildly ill-equipped we get so wrapped up in little things that have to do with culture and context and we forget the bigger picture that we are all called to be learners and doers of the word. And I think once we take seriously learning and pouring into and drawing from the scripture and having the Holy Spirit minister to our lives, once we take that seriously, the other stuff seems to fade away because our hearts become, come to a place of surrender before God able to walk in his will and his way, God's order and his structure is perfect, especially for a time and a context and a culture as we see right here. 
You see, if Paul instructed Timothy to do things any other way, it would have upended the apple cart. It would have been so divisive in the nature of that culture that the opportunity to share the, the gospel would have fallen on deaf ears. There, was no, there would have been no opportunity to take people on a journey of freedom. Rather, it would have been shut down and the persecution would have run rampant in the society at the time. But I think God, in his infinite wisdom, allowed Paul to teach Timothy well how to establish a baseline for sharing the gospel in a very different culture than what they had ever known. And church, we as Christians, we are called into our culture and our context. We are called to be so well-equipped, men and women, so well-equipped for the gospel that whether we're in a coffee shop or whether we're serving tea in our home or whether we're leading a nursery or returning wrenches, doesn't matter where we are, we are called to be ministers of the gospel. And I want to encourage you this morning that whether you are a man or a woman, you are called by God. If you are saved and you call Jesus your savior, you're a minister of the gospel, always, wherever you go. Are you ready for it? If not, I would encourage you to start digging into your Bible and become a student of God's word. No matter who you are or where you're coming from, get ready and be prepared to share the love and the hope that our world needs today more than ever before. And get ready to be equipped with the gospel for the sake of Christ. Let's close in prayer and the worship team will uh, we'll get a chance to worship together here shortly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you begin sparking a desire in our hearts to dig into your word more, to have a deeper passion to learn about your word, to understand the context of the scripture and how we apply it to our lives today and in our circumstances, and to adopt the universal truths that we see in the word of God into our lives so that we are prepared to deliver the good news no matter where we find ourselves. We love you, Father. We thank you. Be with us today as we continue to seek after you. Amen.